0: Okay, good. Good to be back with you. I've been missing in action for the last few weeks and um, different things, different places, and so on. Uh, I was looking down on you last, no, two weeks ago, from the hot air balloon. I could see you all. Looking down on you. Great. Well, it's good to be back. And um, as you know, we've taken a break from our series in John's Gospel for a few weeks, Um we, we finished uh, the halfway mark last time and uh, that's when Jesus left off speaking to the crowds speaking to the multitudes okay so now um, what we're looking at in John's gospel is what we call the passion week of Christ the last week of Jesus now 25% more than 25% of Luke's gospel is devoted to that week more than a third of Matthew and Mark are devoted to that week and almost a half of john's gospel is devoted to that week and so what we're going to see now is jesus's focus is totally on the disciples um, this is the last day of the old covenant before jesus went to the cross and ushered in the new covenant so he's not talking about the law he's not talking about the old covenant era these are instructions to his disciples and to us concerning the new covenant life So I've got to admit, I've been looking forward to getting into this section of John's Gospel, though we've enjoyed the other chapters the last 32 weeks. Um, And and this week then, I've I've entitled this Spiritual foot washing. So just to put your mind at ease, we're not getting out the water and uh, asking you to take your shoes and socks off. Don't worry, just relax. But we're going to look at what Jesus did and what the teaching... That he wanted us to receive from that. Okay, so we'll get straight into it then. We're looking at uh, John chapter 13, starting at verses 1 to 5. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded now this took place the day before the Passover sometimes people get confused between the Passover and the last supper Um, the 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 last supper was one night before the Passover Okay, so this is the night when Judas betrayed him and eventually they would come and arrest Jesus and then the following day he would be crucified. So the last supper was the night before the Passover. Now we know on the Passover, the Passover lamb was killed and that was a picture of Jesus who would actually be our lamb, the lamb of God who would die for us. So um, that was 24 hours before the Passover, that this last supper that we're looking at now took place. Jesus, in fact, we read there in John's Gospel that it says that Jesus loved his own. I love that phrase. Um, I think we sang that phrase in the last song, actually, about uh, Jesus loving his own. And uh, what a beautiful phrase that is. We are his own. Think about it. We are his own. We belong to him. Why? First of all, because the Father gave us to him from even before the foundation of the world. Think about that. This is not a random thing. This is not something that just happened perchance. chance. Um, in John chapter 10, we've already looked at this, in 28 and 29, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that beautiful? Now we see this in uh, John chapter 17, which we're going to come to eventually in our series, which is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Five times in that chapter, five times he refers to his disciples and to us as those who were given to him by the Father. He says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That's Judas, of course, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So five times, five times in this chapter, uh, Jesus glories in the fact that we have been given to him by the Father. The disciples have been given into his hands. And uh, the Bible says uh, he loved his own to the end. That's the Greek word teleos. It means to the fullest extent, the uttermost. I love the way it says it in the New International Version. It says he showed them the full extent of his love. He couldn't have shown us a greater extent of his love. What is the full extent of his love? We see it here in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The greatest extent, the full extent. He loved them to the end, to the uttermost. This he showed us and demonstrated. This is how much I love you. He laid down his life for us. Now, Judas at this stage was going to betray Jesus. And it says that basically he gave himself over to Satan for that purpose. After the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, "What you do, do quickly." You know, people can can come under the control of Satan just as we can come under the control of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've experienced that. I've experienced that where people have encountered me, and and, and I've known that that's that's the enemy that is actually using them on this occasion to bring some kind of attack or or, 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 um, uh, onslaught against you. I've experienced that, I'm sure you have as well. And at this stage, Judas is now in the hands of Satan. By choice, by going along with Satan's plan, he's gone out now to, uh, to betray Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going to. He knew that he'd come from the Father from eternity Quite amazing, isn't it? Coming into this world, lived 33 years on this earth. Now he knew he was going back to the Father. Yet it didn't make him treat others in an inferior way. Rather, it made him treat others well. And in fact, we're going to see that now because we're coming now to the, the point where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And we're going to look at that from his cultural background and, and the spiritual implications or lessons that we had to learn from that that's the main focus today so having come straight from the street okay Jesus and his disciples coming straight from the street to this banquet room the custom was that the servant of that room would wash the feet of the guests but this meeting was secret so there was no servant. they kept it hush okay hush hush in case anybody talked, because Jesus had a lot of things he wanted to share with his disciples before he would be arrested and crucified. So he didn't want that time to end prematurely it would end in his time and in his way, not in somebody else's time. So there's no servant there. It's all kept quiet. And so everybody's waiting to see who's going to take the role of the servant, who, who would consider themselves to be the, the most inferior amongst them. Of course, nobody was making a movie. In fact, if you look at the other gospels, they were actually arguing which of them was the greatest, right? So Jesus gave them time, he gave them time. And then during the meal, he rose up himself and removed his outer cloak, tied a towel or literally an apron around his waist and began to wash the feet of the disciples, including Judas. Judas hadn't left at that point. Now, this was a shock. Just imagine just how shocked they would have been because he was their master. He was their teacher. He was their leader. It wasn't his role to do that, but none of them would take the lowest point. But he got up and he began to do that and they felt basically a sense of rebuke. But this was actually a picture of Jesus coming from heaven. The fact that he took off his outer garments, he laid aside his glory he laid aside his glory he came in the form of a man even in the form of a servant and humbled himself come to as low as he could to to die in our place for our sins it was all a picture of of the fact that he had stepped out of heaven and humbled himself to cleanse us from our sins okay now actually when when we read that passage before it says that he began to wash the feet so the implication there there is that there was an interruption and we know it was peter that interrupted it okay so he's going from one disciple to another then he comes to peter comes to peter and peter said to him lord are you washing my feet jesus answered and said to him what i am doing you do not understand now but you will know after this so there's a, there's a lesson here which wasn't yet revealed. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Well, he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, what does all this mean? What, what are the implications? Let's have a look. First of all, Peter strongly objects to this, and he uses, in fact, two words. One of them has got a double negative. He, when you look at it in the Greek, it's got a double negative. It could actually be translated as no, never at all, not to all eternity will you wash my feet. He, he really uh, dug his heels in and objected to the whole thing jesus replied that if he wouldn't allow him to wash his feet he would not be included with him in ministry so then peter being true to form went to the opposite extreme and replied then bathe me too give me me a wash all over and jesus replied that he was already bathed and only needed to wash his feet so we're going to look at that What, what what's what's all this mean He's already bathed, but only needs to wash his feet. There's two cleansings here. Now, we, we see this illustrated. Remember, every truth is illustrated in the Old Testament. Okay. So we see this illustrated in the tabernacle. When, when you come into the tabernacle, there's an outer court. You have to enter in through the gate of the outer court. The first thing that confronts you is the brazen altar. Now, that was big. It was in fact so big that all the other pieces of furniture could fit inside it it was that big and it was right there in front of you why because you couldn't go any further until your sins were dealt with and in fact it was so big that there were steps that led up to it where they laid the sacrifice on the altar that was called the brazen altar okay but then the priests went from there because there was dirt on their feet there was blood on their hands they went to another Uh, thing before you went into the tabernacle itself that was called the brazen laver okay that was there was water in that and so they washed their hands and their feet of that before they went into the tabernacle now it's interesting when jesus died you remember they stuck the spear into his side they thrust the steer the spear into his side and there came out what water and blood water and blood. So there's some significance, significance there which we're going to look at. First of all, come back to the brazen altar. At the altar, that represents Calvary or the cross, where we will wash completely from our sins. That's what Jesus was saying. You are, they already put their faith in him. They were already cleansed. They were bathed. They were washed completely. Okay. Uh, that's the that's the case with us when you've put your trust in jesus say lord jesus you died in my place i trust you i put my faith in you uh, as my savior then you are washed from all your sins past present future it's finished the sin question has been dealt with okay paul says to the corinthians talking about the behavior of those who are not Christians, he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Now just look at that for a moment. When when, when we believe in Jesus, we're washed, we're cleansed, we're justified, made righteous. Then he goes on to say, in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Why is that? Because when we believe in Jesus, we are born again. The Holy Spirit comes to bring the life of Jesus into our human spirit and joins us with that human spirit. We've become one with Jesus. And we're born again because of this work of the Holy Spirit. We call it regeneration. Now, Paul says it again here in a different way when he was writing to Titus we're saved not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through what the washing of regeneration and renewing by the holy spirit and so there's a there's a legal thing where our sins have been forgiven and righteousness is imputed to us but there's also this actual experiential thing if I can use that word where the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us and and we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit we're born again we're we're now uh, our spirits have been made perfect through what Jesus did at the cross is that clear amen now 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 John says the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all Sin, is that clear? All sin. All sin has been forgiven when you put your trust in Jesus, all right? Who knows that's that hymn? What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay, there's only one thing that can cleanse us, the blood of Jesus. And that's what we read here. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Now that's interesting because in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was no seat. Why? Because the priest's work was never done. But Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And then he sat down. The work is finished. He said, it is finished. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified or set apart for god so the new testament knows nothing of a reapplication of the blood you don't have to come for another cleansing in the blood now that teaching that you know we've got to confess every sin in order for it to be forgiven that's a misinterpretation i'm not going to go over that again i've shared that many times you know what i'm referring to Uh, When you put your faith in Jesus, all your sins will be forgiven. You don't need to go to the blood again for a fresh cleansing. Neither do you need to be washed in anything again. So that brings us to this question. Then what does the washing of feet resemble? What about this washing that took place at the laver with the water? Okay, now that's a a picture of a particular cleansing through the word of God. So let's talk about that. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 26 says that Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And so the water is a symbol of the word of God, the Bible, right? Um, Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth now let's move on what then does the word cleanse what does the word cleanse hebrews chapter 10 therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of jesus the blood of jesus amen by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the vow that is his flesh And having a high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from what an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so this cleansing in the blood of jesus is not a cleansing of our sins they've already been dealt with but sometimes our conscience gets the better of us amen and our conscience becomes a veil in itself that holds us back from enjoying the presence of god right so go on to the next verse the cleansing of the blood is applied to our consciences consciences by the water of the word now let me just explain something before i read this passage because um you know we're delving into the old testament here there was a um, a particular sacrifice if someone had touched a dead person they were ceremoniously unclean okay so if one of your relatives died and you you touched them you were ceremoniously unclean what they did they had to offer a a heifer um, and and, um, burn it on the altar take the ashes of that offering and mix it with water okay and then the person who was ceremoniously unclean would sprinkle that water upon that person and then they would become clean they could come back into the camp they could come back into fellowship and and you know um be in contact with other people again now here's a question does touching a dead person uh bring any harm to you physically no so it's a picture of something it's a picture of defilement and this is what it's a picture of said, so, well, look if the blood of bulls and goats and the he- ashes of a heifer sprinkling with water the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know the way we behave as humans. You do something wrong, you think you've got to do something good now to cancel out the good that's wrong. Okay? God's not pleased with me now, so I'll draw back from God, but I'll, I'll behave well for, and do a few good things, and then I can come back to God. That's Death. They're dead works. That's the death that this symbolizes being cleansed from. There's no need for that because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. But we need to be reminded from the water of the word of God, the scriptures, of what he's done so that our consciences can be clean and we can enjoy this fellowship with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pretty deep, I know, but... You look like you're still awake and with it. and Coffee's coming. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Aaron was the high priest. Okay. He had to be consecrated. And when he was consecrated, he was washed all over to be cleansed. Right. But at the labor, it was only their hands and feet which were daily cleansed. Can you see the, the picture? One was done for them aaron was bathed he was washed so that he could officiate as the priest that was done for us it was like the cleansing that was done for us at the cross jesus died for us we couldn't do anything he did it all he died for us that we might be forgiven but they had to go to the the altar uh, the, sorry the the brazen labor to wash their hands and their feet they had to do that for themselves and so when we we have a a conscience that's bothering us, we have to we have to go to the Word of God to cleanse ourselves in the water of the Word. Does that make sense? We have to do that so that we can be free from this you know conscience that's telling us that we're we're not worthy when we are worthy because of the blood of Jesus. Now here's an interesting thing. The labor, this brazen labor, do you know how they made it? They made it from the looking glasses or the mirrors which were given freely by the women for this purpose. When, when they were going to make the tabernacle, everybody gave an offering and, and uh, you know, brought something so that all the costs could be covered. And the women gave their, their looking glasses. Now, of course, back in those days, mirrors weren't made of glass. They were made of uh, plates of polished brass that were just, sh- you know, shone so that you could look and see the reflection. Nothing like the mirror today, but at least you could see some sort of reflection. So the women gave all these, dedicated all these and they were melted down, okay? And then out of that was formed, you know, by, by the craftsmen this brazen laver. Nothing was my accident in the word of God. The word is depicted as a mirror. Isn't it? And it's also by the washing of the water of the word that we are transformed. Look at this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, that's the word of God, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit. Of the Lord and so that's God's way of growth for us and change we've got to continuously renew our minds align our thinking with the truth of God's Word and as we look at the scriptures correctly we see Jesus who's just been singing turn your eyes upon Jesus that's the key to the Christian life to keep looking to Jesus his perfection his glory his righteousness and what happens is that we are transformed into the image the more we look in the word of god the more our conscience is cleansed the more we say yes i am the righteousness of god in christ yes i am a son of god yes i am holy i am set apart i am sanctified unto god because that's what the word tells me that's what the word tells me and so we're being transformed as we look into the mirror of god's word James says the same thing. James chapter 1. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. That's our problem. Forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work of And this one will be blessed in what he does. So what he's saying is if we don't read, if we read the word of God in a very quick or shallow way, we can quickly forget what we've read. But if we spend time meditating upon it, let it become, you know, established in our hearts, then we won't forget. We won't go away and forget who we are. We'll know the truth of our identity and we'll live in accordance with it. Our lives will line up with what is true about us. Amen? amen okay so as we kind of come to an end now when when jesus said to peter if you don't let me wash your feet you have no part with me what did he mean by that well it's a reference to fellowship with jesus in his ministry not 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 you know that you've got i've got nothing to do with you anymore he's saying okay you you can't come with me into ministry because this is vital do you remember mary sat at the feet of jesus and martha was busy serving but jesus said to her you're busy with many things but one thing is needful and mary has chosen that good part see this she used the same word part she has a part with me in the ministry because she understands what it's all about and i i've got to confess there have been times when i've been busy serving the lord working for him but not working with him Many people are working for Jesus, so they think, but not working with him. Amen. And so Jesus is saying, this is vital. You've got to know how to cleanse your own conscience, but also ministry is learning to cleanse the conscience of other people, to minister to the body of Christ, to get them free from guilt and shame and condemnation, uh, you know, and to cleanse them in that way with the word of God. And if Peter didn't understand the significance of what Jesus did, how could he have part in this ongoing ministry to the church? Now, Peter would understand that after the resurrection. What Jesus did here remained in Peter's mind and heart. Decades later, he wrote, uh, when he wrote to Christians about humility, he said, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. He's thinking about when Jesus took on the apron, of humility the apron of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples and and we're called to do the same that's ministry that is ministry okay last few verses so when he had washed their feet taken his garments and sat down again he said to them do you know what i've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you say well for so i am if he their leader had humbled himself to be a servant to them so they were to do for one another now of course it's not foot washing as such some some churches do that you know it's not necessary it's it's it's, it's not even in our culture i mean you know we have shoes and socks we keep our feet clean most of us and uh it's not necessary but it's serving one another in this way spiritually washing the feet of one another To take away that sense of guilt and condemnation and shame and there's a blessing jesus said let's go back to that blessed are you if you do them last words blessed are you if you do this so there's a blessing for those who do it anything we do for each other that washes away the grime of the world and the dirt and defeat and discouragement sorry the dirt of defeat and discouragement is spiritual foot washing isn't it sad that so many people project guilt, project condemnation, project shame on others? Where Jesus says, no, go and lift those things. Go and take that dirt and that grime off them. Lift their heads high. Let them feel confident of who they are in me. Let them understand what I've done for them and that they are now clean. As Jesus said, you are clean, all of you. You are clean because of what he did at the cross. Okay, application as we close. Number one, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Has there been a time in your life when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and said, Lord Jesus, you died for me, I believe in you? That's the first thing. Second thing, do you know how to use the Word of God? yourself to cleanse you every time your conscience condemns you do you know how to come to the word of God and spend time and look in the mirror meditate upon it so that you can be free of that and then thirdly will you then go to your brothers and sisters as Jesus has asked us to do to wash their feet that they too might be free of guilt and shame and condemnation let's pray Father, we thank you this morning for your word and we thank you, Lord, for this ministry that you've not only given to us and performed upon us, but you've included us in that we might share with you and have part with you in this ministry. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to reach out to those who do not yet know the fullness of what it means to be washed in the blood of the Lamb that we might take the water of your word and wash the feet of those who need that ministry. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Amen.